We're not the same, and yet we are the same. Same, same, but different. Same difference. Banded Roots is a podcast aimed at discussing a multitude of stories and experiences with people who come from different walks of life and asking what they make of them and how disadvantage, privilege, or even oppression was evidenced in that particular space, whether it be the workplace, the church, home, or just general society. All of the worldly ting-tings that defy us, grow us, define us, and should ultimately unite us. Yellow, hello, hi, it's Aaliyah, also known as Leah, to those of you who think you know me well enough to call me Leah, and at times known as Muhammad Aaliyah, when I'm 100% that bitch. But seeing as it is the first episode, I am going to let you in on a little secret. One of my names on my birth certificate is Gugu, so you can totally, definitely not call me that without my permission. Moving on. Let's talk about roots, baby. Let's talk about unifying we. Let's talk about all the good things and the dope things being black can be. Let's talk about intersectionality. Today, I am lucky enough to be joined by two amazing humans. On my left, I have Miss Ivy. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Ivy Lee. I'm an occupational therapist, psychotherapist. I've been living here in Shanghai for the past 13 years. Um, although of Chinese descent, I was born in Mauritius Island and I did grow up in Canada. Miss International herself, thank you for gracing us with your presence. I'm happy to be on this show. <laughs> and on my right, we have Sinovuyo. But you can refer to her as whatever she would like you to refer to her as. Please introduce yourself. I think Sino's just fine. Like, <laughs> I don't call you by my full name. Unless you're my parent. Oh, I owe you money. <laughs> There's no reason for that. Uh, my name is Sino. I am South African. I've just recently moved to Shanghai. Um, professionally, I'm a media journalist. But I work <laughs> in a different field. I'm responsible for small human adults. Yeah. Because that's what they are. I that like is. the sound of that, how that's referred to. Human, small human adults. No, yes, it's true. Yeah. Being in such a field, you realize how much children are evident in actual adults mm -hmm. and how much adults are evident in actual children. I don't know if that actually made sense. Well, some people say that we never really fully mature past the age of eight or even 12. <laughs> Ooh. But we have more decision power mm -hmm. after yes. the age of eight or 12. This is true. So that makes a we whole just lot can of do sense. more That's... damage. Yeah, more damage. <laughs> after the age of, yes, 12 at least. It makes sense because currently uh, I am teaching kids that are basically nine years old and above and I'm and I think to myself the issues that they face the problems that they face I look at it and I'm like this is stupid this is stupid we're older than this we're more grown than this and then I realize no we're not actually because I see it in all of my friends that are around my age if not older mm. I'm not proud of this but at the same time this is what makes us humans and we yeah. this is what grounds us actually so I'm glad I have this perspective but 
why mm-hmm. we are here today. <laughs> we can yes. totally, we can totally, you know, go on tangents. I'm, I'm totally welcome to that. But the topic is intersectionality. I chose this topic particularly because that kind of sets the tone for what the whole purpose of Banded Roots is. And basically, let's not go straight into the whole purpose of Banded Roots without actually talking about intersectionality because you have to understand intersectionality first. And there's not one definition, but there is one way of trying to basically discuss it in a sense that involves a multitude of voices in order to gain some form of understanding of it. It's not a clear one, right? It's not clear because not many people understand it, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I feel like um, until I've met you, I don't think I've even heard of that term before. And I'm pretty sure you've explained it to me many I times. I have. Do you think you could do a little recap? Yes. <laughs> so this is what's going to happen right now, right? So this phrase, should I say, whatever you want to call it, this okay. concept was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Kimberly Crenshaw a professor of law coined the term intersectionality to describe the way people's social identities can overlap. She describes it as a prism for seeing the way in which various forms of inequality often operate together and exacerbate each other. We tend to talk about race inequality as separate from inequality based on gender, class, sexuality, or immigrant status. What often is missing is how some people are subject to all of these. And the experience is not just the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. I think that sentence alone mm, yeah. is deep, mm, <laughs> super deep. Mm. But that's what we are. We're deep people. But we're also funny people. I think we have a bit of banter. So let me just bring it to the floor. What do you make of this definition? Of this concept. Of this you know, I'll, I'll have you start, please. <laughs> when wow. you think about it. Of her definition or just the concept in general? Let's think of the concept in general because intersectionality is... It's definitely like a necessary conversation to have. It's a necessary conversation to have, but also because it is something which a lot of humans in the world overlook. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's important to realize that when... It's also about understanding people and humans as a whole because not one human is subject to one form of oppression one form of discrimination Mm -hmm. at all at all in fact there's it's a multitude of things there's many layers because we don't know their whole story Mm -hmm. we never know a person as soon as we meet them they they present themselves and we have present themselves as someone in order to give that perception of themselves because that's how we will we, we will perceive them but do we know them do we understand how they why they are the way they are There are so many different layers to a person. And this is why it is important to talk about these things called like intersectionality to fully understand how certain issues a person faces genuinely affects their whole esteem and being in society and how they carry themselves. um, I mean, everyone's lived experiences, whether it be from their social upbringing, um, workspaces or different travel spaces they all kind of form who you are and depending on where you are and how you feel on that specific day someone may meet you know a different version of you um 
but because they're meeting that version of you, it doesn't, and it shouldn't rather, eliminate everything else that makes you you. Mm. And I think with intersectionality, it tries to um, kind of remind people that, hey, there are all these other experiences, your race, your gender, your age, um, so many other things that should be considered and how these can um, sometimes show, oh, sorry, <clears throat> how these can sometimes show um, the injustices that you've gone through mm. um, and what makes you you and why sometimes you may reason the way you do mm. because you've had all of these things. Um, and most of the time, because some people may have or may come from a different sense of privilege, they may not understand. Yes. So I think why I said um, intersectionality is very necessary, it's because it tries to understand why people are the way they are. Mm. Um, and you can't say you're a social being and because we live around people, you can't just go out in the world and be without understanding everyone you come across and everyone around you. And treating people with that understanding that I don't know yes. your whole truth. Yeah. Giving people the benefit of the doubt, so to say, so to speak. Um, because I have come to realize in my own personal experiences that although I think I've experienced a lot of discrimination on multiple le levels, there are things I still don't know about someone else. And once they expose that to me, I, I think to myself, wow, little do I know. And a lot do I have to learn. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also important to be open to that idea of learning more. Because a lot of us are just like, well, just because I haven't experienced being, this is a stupid example, bitten by a dog, doesn't mean... That dogs don't bite. That dogs don't bite. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And mm. that your experience of being bitten by a dog has its own trauma. I should, exp I should understand that. And I should, in a sense, grow closer towards you in trying to understand it. Because, or not judge you, in a sense. Um, learn more about you and learn about why you are the way you are and also find similarities within myself. This is when the introspection uh, is needed to be like, when do I feel as, as if I've been bitten by a dog, should I say? Hmm. So you're trying to find more nuances between the experiences of everyone. Yeah. Because I think from what I understand is that everyone is oppressor and everyone is oppressed at some point in their day, in their life. Mm -hmm. And it's probably just too simple to say that we either oppress or or are oppressed or and both at the same time. Mm. And that everybody has like a different quality of how they experience that and how they live that and how they project that. Um, because yes, bit, being bitten by a dog is probably different from I don't know, not being chosen for being king of your country or something, <laughs> but also has similarities in terms of mm, being overpowered by something that you have no control over. Yes. Boom. Boom. Mm. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to understand what this intersectionality <laughs> is. Yes. Um, um, usually, though, I think... Uh, and this is just to bring a little bit more perspective on where this term intersectionality came from. I would like to make an important note here that whenever I make reference to discrimination, I mean it in the sense of 
unfair discrimination because there is something called fair discrimination but in the theme and the topic of this current podcast I would like it to be known that whenever I make reference to this word I particularly mean unfair discrimination. Uh, Kimberly Crenshaw coined it however I had to make a bit of analysis about why she needed to do this because in the United States of America uh, very much it's often that you cannot bring legally you cannot bring a claim um, on more than one ground um, well a claim of discrimination on more than one ground so you can't just go there and say I've been discriminated in this work workplace based on my gender uh, gender and race you have to say you can only say one thing there can only be one ground um, and that was a little bit of a shock for me because in South African law you can bring a claim based on multiple uh, multiple grounds whether it be race gender class all of those things because those are all of the things that South Africans would consider to be um, a form of discrimination because that's how we we don't just discriminate on one level we discriminate on so many levels um, and we experience discrimination on so many levels. And so a black woman said that, you know, I am experiencing discrimination based on both my race and my gender. And it's just like, what? No, 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 sorry. And this was in America. You can't bring this forward with just, with just one, with two. You have to bring it only on one. You can only use one ground. But it's mm. not that simple. Mm. If it was just race, then okay. Maybe the person from the Muslim person or the black man can bring it. It's all the same. But no, I'm discriminating you based on both your race and the fact that you're a woman. And some, and to some degree, maybe your class, where you come from. Mm. Because that is how we are hum as humans created. We, we think about all of these things, these judgments. Um, so... Well, not these criticisms, but these criteria of who you are as a person, because that's what makes makes you who you are as a person. And for me, that was incredibly shell shocking, because I was like, "Is it not obvious yeah. that she's being discriminated <laughs> on all of these levels? And why can she not bring all of these these grounds?" Um, um, but basically, it would uh, not mitigate the solution or the settlement, should I say? that would be given. Mm. It wouldn't mitigate or aggravate the settlement. So she wouldn't get more money um, in in form of damages or whatever to her, to herself, whatever of that sort. She wouldn't, they wouldn't, it wouldn't assist her in any way. If anything, it would aggravate if she bought it on multiple grounds and therefore they would have to pay more. But that's not allowed because you can only bring something on one ground. Mm. But when something's infect, uh, affecting you on so many different levels, um, your person, your 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 self worth, and all of those things, you should be fairly compensated for that sort of sort of discrimination. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, let's look at South Africa, particularly. We have, we are our laws in terms of freedom of speech are limited. So you, uh, freedom of speech is not an absolute right, which I personally think, and I'm saying it right now. I know I might get in trouble for this, but <laughs> I am saying it right now. I think is very fair. It should not be an absolute right. Um, it should be a limited right because in order to say, because when you say things, often you do not think of the repercussions of you saying those things. Mm. 
Um, you can't just say, oh, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's Bull- not true. Shitty. <laughs> <laughs> words cut. Words cut. And they also affect other people and how they think of, of a certain person. You know, you can say to your child, oh, do not talk to this black person. Yada, yada, yada. They are from this place that you know what i mean they're a lower class now you're affecting how the child thinks of other people do you know what i mean they didn't say anything i mean they didn't do anything physically mm. but they said something to sh- to affect how another person will um interact with the with an with another person with a different race um so with our law it basically says that you know freedom of speech is not an absolute right and it is limited where it is regarded as hate speech in a sense where it incites violence uh, or it discriminate, uh, incites violence um, or discrimination on any of the grounds listed, whether it be race, gender, age, age there's about like 10, mm-hmm. age, disability. Whenever mm. it incites violence or causes discrimination um, based on, based on those, those, those grounds, then it is considered hate speech and it is a limit and therefore your freedom of speech is limited because that you cannot pass that line that's very fair i Mm. agree with you um and it's also something else and also causes not just uh insights it it incites harm or it 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 incites um causes harm i mean or incites violence um and this is the thing that kind of happens in america right well, all over the world. This was not limited to America, but uh, America being, you know, so great. Um, <laughs> not, no, nothing. No, America's it's country. No country is better than the other. Every every country has its own problems. Let's just mm. be fair. Um, but you know, it is considered one of the 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 leading countries, and it's one of the most. I wouldn't say well, yeah, well documented because it is what they they pioneered, kind of. Um, uh, broadcasting themselves, and mm-hmm. I feel like they were the first ones that one impressed us. One mm-hmm. of the first ones, and the ones that did it the best, um, and also marketing themselves as such, should I say? Um, but that said, uh, you see, you see, you know, say, people saying that, oh no, um, we aren't racist yet. You know, they will incite harm by because they aren't necessarily doing anything physical, but when you incite harm or cause discrimination in some form or way, you can cause protests. And so it's like, we're not physically hurting anyone, but we are inciting hate towards another race. So that's what happens. Doesn't necessarily have to be a physical act of hurting another person physically, touching them, but it is causing hatred towards a certain race, towards a certain class, towards a certain demographic. So then with all of the protests and everything that has been happening, has the law changed? Oh, but that's another chat. Um, well, with... I couldn't tell you with American law. I mean, they that's a complex thing in itself, and mm-hmm. I haven't necessarily... I can't say that I've studied it enough to necessarily make a comment on it or analysis that is you know a fair one um but i can tell you that they are they have senate bodies which you know regulate and operate their own uh, little states 
So each state is different. I feel like America is just a big, big, I think it's like a continent full of countries because they are ruling their own states, which I consider countries mm-hmm. the way they mm-hmm. wish how, you know, not every state is the same. So maybe they might have a law or legislation that in certain regulates places. certain behavior in certain places, but in, in other states, they won't. Um, I guess what I understand is that the challenge is the whole free speech part. Yeah, the free speech thing. It's a very, it's a, I don't think it should be total freedom, but in America, it is total freedom. And hate speech is not outlawed. Mm-hmm. It is allowed completely. Freedom of speech, I'm like, no, not like that. Because what is it doing? What is it doing? That's a complex one, though. We could talk about Hitler. We could talk about how he was just talking freedom of speech. He was just being free with his speech. But guess what it did? What did it cause? Because he was a great orator. In history, he's considered a great orator. He is. It's true. You know? Yeah. That's he, a sticky one. Because, it's a sticky... It's right, an hate Because one. who's the one who's going to regulate what the constitutes as hate... He's, well, that's something that America needs to deal with. But I think uh, a lot of things are well written and they're well, you know, codified. This would be considered hate speech, but obviously, it is subject to um, its own interpretation through each jurisdiction in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also have to consider the histories of those countries. All right. <clears throat> so, based on that, I also wanted to actually ask you, Masaibi. Um, you, we've had many chats, you and I, and what I've very much enjoyed. These, I wish, I, you know, <laughs> I wish what? people could see you guys' reactions yes, right now. Because I don't think it's enough. Because the seeing, you have to hear. You have to hear what we see. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. What we see. My eyes are just wide open. What, you're just like, and this is big smile. Being like, eek. Um, yeah. So you, I know you've, there's a book that you've read. Oh. Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Love that book. Changed my life. It changed your life. Tell us how it changed your life and, and the different perspectives of, of, of different people that you, that you read about, um, that where, um, oppression was evident in those different character, not character, character Well, I'm not exactly sure what the, the background of the author is. I'm something like a political science mm, sociologist, probably. Um, the author is uh, Paulo Freire. He's Brazilian. So I've only read, obviously, the English translation. I love his books. You've read his books? Mm-hmm, a few. Oh. Ooh. I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know he had more than one. So. Um, the same guy. Uh, I'm sure he's had more than one but this one was a seminal one for me in my entire life Um, I think what I've learned from it uh, that I still use basically in my life in general is basically he talks about uh, how oppressors act and how oppressed people also act um, and that they're all one and the same, which is that both dehumanize the other 
So the oppressors will say that the oppressed, for example, are lazy, uh, you know, just uh, poor and uneducated, etc. Um, and at this, and the oppressed will do the same. We'll say, well, the oppressors are either gods or um, evil or. Um, and in the same token, they'll both dehumanize themselves. So the oppressed sir will think that yes, you know, they deserve better. They they've they've worked for every penny that they've got, and therefore they deserve everything they have on this planet. Um, they are smarter. They are just uh, more savvy, um, and the oppressed as well will feel that well they are also uneducated that they don't know what uh, their masters know etc so i think understanding that made it feel like okay we do we are both by the the same token as we see both these groups see the world the same way they see others as Un dehumanized, they see themselves as dehumanized, and therefore we're all just playing the same game. Uh, so the only way to change this game is that one of us has to start humanizing the other and ourselves. Be <coughs> able to say like, okay, these are not gods. These are not just uneducated people. They're just humans who are able to actually evolve um, if you don't see uh, an ability to evolve uh, in other people or yourselves then you're not human anymore you you you've you've stayed in the animal state as he calls it you're just hmm. your, your your DNA whatever your DNA was created to make you do go hunt for food etc that's all you'll do for the rest of your life. Whereas humans, we like to think that we can change a little bit our behavior according to our environment and according to the people that we meet. So I, I think it's a book of love, actually. Uh, he has an entire chapter describing how to love. You know, first you got to listen. First you have to uh, try to understand, really try to understand. For There's no dialogue without love. That's my favorite quote that he got them said <laughs> um, so it's a very political book but there's it's it's mm. i feel it's very spiritual in that sense so um and there's a line somewhere that i still i've read it four times again and i still can't find it again but i need to f read it maybe a fifth time where he talks about the fact that in the end the oppressor is the one that suffers the most because they're the ones who have to eventually look into the choices that they've made that have caused pain on others. Um, that uh, I don't know if it's repairable. Uh, and that was something that also struck me in what he wrote, but I still have to find that chapter again so <laughs> that I can understand it more deeply. Um, that at the end, the oppressors are the ones who suffer uh, the most from their deeds. Um, 
So it reminds me of something that I heard. I don't know from where, from maybe maybe many places. Should I put it on? That's right. I'm good. Okay, fine. Yeah. All right. Uh, something that I heard. It's better to receive hurt than to give hurt. Mmm. It's deep. Sometimes it's necessary uh, to give hurt. I'm kidding. No, not really. You're coming from a dark place. Coming from a very dark place. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I'm saying sometimes it's it's not intentional um, to give hurt. I think uh, we we as humans are constantly evolving, but also constantly healing um, from our past and and the things that we've experienced and. And it's important to heal in order to really make sure that you give yourself to another person or you treat other people in a way which would not be evident of what you experienced from another person because then it continues the cycle of ongoing trauma. Um, not to say that we, you know, we don't make the mistakes, you know, we are human at the end of the day, but we, we should try. At, at the very least, we should try. Or just do. And if we mess up, okay. But at least you, you don't do. Didn't try. Because sometimes I feel like the word try is a very um, half-hearted uh, action of doing something. It's like, oh, I'll try. I'll try to do my homework. But do you believe you're going to do your homework? Do you really intend to do your homework? We don't know. But I'll be like, I'll try. But if you fully, you know, commit to it, like, no, I'll do my homework might not be today, might not be tomorrow, but I'll do it. I feel like it's more commitment. Yeah, a wise man once uh, tried to instill in me the concept of integrity of intent. Have mm. integrity in what you intend to do. Mm. And you're sort of Damn. the only one who... That's like deep. Like <laughs> I have a full course. I'll send you my uh, <laughs> curriculum. Um, yeah, because you're the only one who who knows you have integrity in your intentions if you yeah if you intend to do a good work then do a good work and you're and have integrity in it so what do you have to say is there any experience <laughs> that you think that you have maybe not that you personally have experienced but any ground of which you have experienced um inequality based on class, gender, sexuality, immigrant status. I mean, we are where we are, China. So I'm, I'm a black woman. I'm a black <laughs> And boom, bam, thank you, ma'am. That's where we begin and that's where we end everything. I'm a black woman. I know it all. I've seen it all. I've experienced it all. I know what you know. I know the things you don't think I know, but I know. I joke. There are things that we still do not know, but there are so many things that we can naturally relate to um maybe i wouldn't say that we will fully understand because we are we are only our own being we cannot step into the shoes fully and fully of another person because we are not that person but we can definitely try understand and and, and listen um and therefore relate uh -huh. um but yeah if, if you can name a, mean, a, a, just just one situation that happened when you first got here here in China specifically? China or just throughout the world? I can, if you want, I could share my first experience of, of understanding who I was in the world um, and and my, my status as a human being. And I don't want to call it my status or my class, but my status as a person on this earth. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I was about, what, seven years old. And I was just, you know, at primary school, just finished kindergarten. Everything was great. Everything was fun. You know, I still had my friends from kindergarten that I was hanging out with until I wasn't hanging out with them anymore. And one of the things that stood out was, you know, it was it was playtime. It was break time. And I was, you know, wanting to play t- with one of my friends. She just so happened to be white. <laughs> and then what occurred was one of her friends said that, no, my mother says that uh, me and let's call her Stacy, me and Stacy can only play together because we look the same. I was like, what? Now imagine as a seven-year-old being like, ah. hmm. But also with that story, I think you also need to provide context. Well, it was just cool, but the mother said that. That that's what the mother told her child that they two should play together, and not necessarily with me, because they look the same. Now, at that point, it doesn't seem like a big big thing right but you have your friends and when you're that small and you're that i want essentially vulnerable to the world you you know small things like that really affect you and you're just like but why would she say something like that and it took and it's a deep feeling to have as a child and what does it mean and And why does does it it mean matter why does it matter but then at that point i knew oh that's when i realized i was black You're telling me you didn't realize that before. I was just like, I didn't think it mattered. Didn't affect me, but clearly it does matter. Hmm. Because understand why I said context is you need to also then with your story say where this happened, which year it was, and also understand South Africa's history. So for you, that was a shock because you had already experienced other people from different cultures. For a long time. But to someone else who may have grown up only seeing other black people, only seeing other white people, they didn't have the space to uh, meet and relate to others. So also the time we had just maybe, <clears throat> I'm assuming this was probably late 2000s. No, this is not early. This is our seven years old, 2001. Mm. But the country was still kind of healing. Like it was that's just a the, few years. I don't think that's the point. I, I mean, I mean, I get, mm-hmm. it is a point, but I'm just saying, and with my family, and this is my family, we were, my my grandparents worked hard enough to put their children through private education, you know, with the life, because private educate private schools were the schools at that time that were actually allowing people of color um, to enter their, their um, grounds or whatever. Um, and it was an assumption uh, and I mean, they experienced my my uncles and aunts experienced their own kind of you know discrimination, bullying, whatever. Um, but it was also an assumption made by principals, heads of those those institutions, that oh no, you are only here based on scholarship or bursary. And my grandmother lost her mind. She went in there, and I'm I'm so blessed to have the family I do because they are all strong and tough. I mean, I guess they had to be tough. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily a choice, but a, a an automatic so a, automatic thing that needed to happen. 
Um, but she went in there and she was completely mad. I don't know. She was very angry. She was very mad. And she said to her, said to him, said to the woman, she was like, why would you assume that my child is here from bursary? Because he is black and one of the only two, three, four black people in this institution. So it must be that they're from bursary, you know? Uh, they they come from bursary because the reason why she had to come into to to the head office and to the principal's office was because there was an altercation uh, between um, my uncle and a and a white boy, and I think my white my my uncle called him something derogatory because of his race, hmm. but would that come out of nowhere? No, I'm pretty sure he was uh, what's the word. Provoked, 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 yeah, him. provoked to say something in defense. And it's a natural thing where, you know, you are a minority in an institution, not a minority in the country, but a minority in the institution that you will experience some sort of discrimination or bullying in whatever sense. And she was, so she came in and she let her voice be heard and her thoughts. And I don't think uh, anyone ever missed <laughs> with those kids ever again. <laughs> um, Good on her. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed and thankful that, you know, I have such a, a leader in my in my family and who has taught me a lot. But these are some of the experiences in the 1990s, mm. 19, early 90s, before, you know, everything was completely Mandela, Alice. So by 2001, it should have been better then. It should have been. Mm-hmm. It should have been, but it wasn't. And it was something which, I mean, I have been surrounded by various races my whole life, but a lot of white people my whole life, because again, my parents and my family worked very hard to put me in, you know, good schools. Uh, Well, good schools. I don't think, I don't (laughs) think private education is necessarily better than public education. In fact, I cried when I wasn't allowed to go into a public school because there's so many more colors. There's so many different people, you know? But I knew, again, that it also came with its own microaggressions, which I would be experiencing being a black person, being a black woman in those those heavily, like, run by white people and, you know, controlled by white persons with money and because it's private, you know, and there's going to be a whole lot of white people and white kids and whatever. And I can still remember the things that were said to me even in high school, you know, from white people, like very terrible assumptions that were made um but we've grown we've grown we're better Mm. we're better we're better ish no we just i don't know if we're better or we're just uh more uh mature in 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 being able to handle certain things and not being incredibly reactive because sometimes it doesn't it doesn't help you to react it it only hurts you more because Mm. it kind of gives the other person some power but that's besides the point I was seven years old. Yes. <laughs> I was seven years old, and that was the first moment I realized I was not the same. Um, and there was a difference between me and more than a, a, a... Well, it was a physical difference, but it was also a respect difference, um, a class difference, I think. Because, and I would think in South Africa, people say that there's a difference between classism and racism. And I'm like, yes, theoretically, there is. But they definitely intersect. Because more likely in South Africa, if you're black, you are part of a lower class. Because, I mean, apartheid. 
you know? So you're still coming from all of that. You're still having to rebuild and build again from all of that. So again, you have, you're in a race where you're already behind and you have to kind of catch up. I think also like what I find interesting about your story is how even though your parents took your grandparents rather took you to all these schools at no point did they have a conversation with you saying my child you are different so when you are there act this way but they didn't Stacy's parents were like hey don't 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 do that yeah and also it speaks on then again the conversations and how people view others um because to you, you're taking your child to school, mm. and that's that. You want your child to have a better education, better education, <clears throat> and a better lifestyle opportunities or whatever the case may be. Um, and at no point do you try to dehumanize the other, the next child. Mm. So you you don't say, oh, when you get there, you must behave like this. You're different from them. Mm. So act a certain way, behave a certain way. But it's always then. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's always the other side that has these conversations who want to constantly remind you of how they see you mm. and who you should be according to them and the space and what society has deemed you are fit to be. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, they never really had to have those conversations. I mean, maybe they, they came about like tacitly like... Past five, just, but it wasn't a it deep thing. Anything mm-hmm. I had to deal with, well, I, I had think to it's deal a with. challenging one because you also want you you also want. I'm sure your child to grow up in a culture where they feel that th- their world is their oyster, mm. and not to start off with, well, actually it's not, um, or people are going to deny you that oyster, and this is how they're going to do it. I think it's probably because they had to deal with it in a sense where they were at a disadvantage, but they pushed through. And so it was kind of assumed. I'm like, well, you are my my child. You will deal with it too. But being our generation right now, we're just like, no, that is some BS. We should not be dealing with this. We should not be accepting it. It should not even be a status quo that's natural. We should not normalize this kind of discrimination. Um... And probably that's one of the reasons why maybe your parents did not talk to you about it. It's like, if it doesn't exist, if we don't talk about it, then it doesn't exist. It does not exist. You live your life as you should be living. Yeah. Because we're not, mm-hmm. we're not validating it. We're mm-hmm. not giving it word. We're not giving Empower. it... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a, it's a hard one because, uh, yeah, you want to also prepare your child for not getting killed unnecessarily because they don't know how to behave. Um, But it helped me, I think, a little bit more in my confidence, in my ability to deal with uncomfortable situations. Um, Because what the whole idea of, you know, if you are an oppressor, the whole idea is power, having some sort of power over the oppressed. So when you don't give when when my my family didn't tell me to you know give that person power in saying that they will be this kind of way towards you et cetera et cetera i went in there i wouldn't say blind but open to anything and at the same time 
throughout throughout my education I was incredibly <laughs> talkative, argumentative towards any <laughs> to any historian or, or teacher that told me something that my grandparents didn't teach me or my family or my parents didn't teach me. I'd be like, I don't think this is true. I don't think this is the right history. I don't think this is completely correct. Very, very rarely did they go against me because they knew I was right. Um, but again, I was that one black kid amongst all these white people in this class. And they were just like, oh, Leah's going to say something. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to say something. I don't care, you know? So in a sense, I'm very glad that they did that because it didn't allow me to feel as if I have some sort of inferiority complex, which is what is the the purpose of having, you know, some sort of power to enforce the inferiority, inferiority mm -hmm. complex on the oppressed, you know? So... But yet, we there is some sense of inferiority complex that I think we all deal with it in some regard, whether it be with money. We don't have enough money, so we don't feel like, you know, we're worthy enough or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's those other things. And that's why it's just so complex and it's got yeah. so many levels. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm blessed in that regard. Um, but I think as I've gotten older... And I've become more exposed to the world. And sometimes, in some ways, it, it infuriates me um, that you know the world still is like this, and we treat different people um, differently because of what they look like, where they're from, what religion they are. But at the same time, how many things have I learned unknowingly because the educator was of a certain background, of a certain demographic? Um, that kind of, you know, implanted certain seeds of discrimination towards other people that I don't realize I have, but I have to introspect and kind of unlearn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we, are not, we are not all, you know, <laughs> without our own issues. We're not without our own faults sure. and flaws. And I accept that and I recognize that and I, I realize that's something that I have to constantly work on. But yo, I've been talking a lot about myself, and this is a time thing. But yeah, <laughs> but Ivy, do you have any situation where you have experienced some form? I feel like um, I was thinking about that as you were telling your story. Um, I feel I'm sure I've I've felt some form of discrimination when I was younger, but I think nothing as much as I felt when I came to China. It was my first time being in a place where there were more Chinese people than I've ever seen in my life. It's a lot. <laughs> and the first time where I felt like, well, if I do disappear right now, no one will actually find me. <laughs> because I look the same as everyone else. Um, for some reason, yeah, this was the place where I felt really different. I felt that maybe if, yeah, if I came to China, I would just blend in. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt way more accepted in Mauritius and way more accepted in Canada than I have here in in China. In fact, I, I never even questioned my place in the world until I came to China. I was very lucky that way, I'm sure, um, that I never felt lesser than or anything than anyone in anywhere in the world except when I came to China. 
Interesting. And it was much more clear that being Chinese was not the thing to be, almost. like uh, Not the it thing? Not the it thing, you know. <laughs> you get a lesser salary. Uh, you, I don't know, your, your intelligence is not as regarded. Your worldliness is not as regarded. Your, um, yeah, you are seen as lesser here being Chinese. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I never thought that was going to be the case, really. Mm. Um, so, I have to admit, I had to push my Canadian <laughs> <laughs> passport in front of people so I could feel like I was treated like a human. Um, Damn. So, but I think, again, it's probably all of that dehumanization, just Chinese not trusting other Chinese, uh, foreigners not trusting Chinese. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know yet what to make of that whole experience, except that I never felt more racialized, I guess, than I have yeah. being in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. You, my, uh, I mean, get one more uh, story before uh, we have to wrap it up. I think there's no one experience I can ever speak on because, like I said, being a black woman, um, your whole life is like a constant battle. Mm. If you're not reminded of your blackness, you're reminded of that you're just a woman. So whatever space you are in, you already feel like you're not welcomed because of just who you are and what you are. Um, so with that, there's so much I could speak on. Mm. But I think... Maybe for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, but just my most recent experience um, here in China is with my one of my students. Um, he... Because... He, I have a new class, right? So when I first met them, as this black young lady in front of them, um, I'm assuming not all of them had the experience of having a darker teacher, and also they four. <laughs> so the view of the world is, is limited. So my one child was just very confused, and he kept on reminding me of how I'm not Chinese, because um, I was teaching them about the world and the different continents and countries and he's like um no but you 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 in shanghai but you you're not you're not chinese i'm like yes you're right i'm not and he's like so where are you from (laughs) (laughs) so i tried to explain to him and he just didn't understand he didn't treat me um like a teacher or he didn't treat me with respect only because of whatever it is that he thought i am and only as the weeks went on is he starting to see, oh, this is actually a person. This is my teacher. And then I think for him to try and rationalize the color of my skin, he's like, um, teacher, so you know, maybe you shouldn't be in the sun because it's burning you and you're getting darker. So maybe when we go outside, don't be in the sun so you can be like me. And I was like, at first he just saw this different person this dark person in front of him and now because he knows that i'm actually a human being he's trying to for his little mind a little brain to be like 
what's actually wrong? What's the difference? What's the difference? Mm-hmm. So to make it, then it comes back to the whole, he stopped dehumanizing me. He's like, this is another person. Mm. So how do I help her so that we are the same? Mm. Mm. So I was like, as much as before it was hateful and my whole life, but that's a different form of being told that you're different. But also it it came from a loving place too. So I think that's the one um, experience that I actually note that has been very different from the others. (laughs) That's really nice. Yeah. Mm. Um, That was great. That's a great story. I didn't want it to be, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we've gone through a lot and I was like, that's, it's still a reminder, but it's a, it's a nice reminder. It's very different from Mm. having people just, you know, being all negative and hateful and hurtful. Mm. This was, it's a child. Mm. And of course his parents maybe have said things to him that Mm. made him think the way he, 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 he thinks and feel the way he feels. But because he has a different experience with me, now he knows and feels better. And I think that to me was just, as people, we, we can be better. We can be better. We can be better. You always, be better. She always, I'll tell you a little secret. Sina always tells me to be better. Yes. I don't know how I feel about that. We should all be better. So that's a beautiful story. And, and, and yeah. that comes back to the whole idea of, you know, we are the same, maybe different, but we are the same. There are similarities in all of us. There's always something you can le- can relate to. The intersection of a multitude of issues, oppression, and joy that the world faces intersects at the black woman. And because of this, despite everything that may divide us, her body is what unites us and is what we are all rooted in. This is this will become more evident throughout the series. This is not to say that any experience is the same or one is more important than another. The only purpose is to listen, to understand, to learn and to often unlearn the things we think we know. Yes, I or we may not know it all, and by no means do we aim to understand it all, but seeing is the first step to understanding. And by understanding, we are able to relate in another way. We are able to feel. Therefore, we can grow and unite. As no man is an island. You know, we are community beings. The truth is we are all oppressed, and we will all be able to relate to it in one way or the other. Navigating foreign spaces as a black woman, she gets a closer look at different degrees in which different people are mistreated, privileged, and how these treatments intersect at one body, hers. She tends to be the embodiment of all we as humans resent, and thus experiences all of the worst and really, but at times, experiences the best. But she is relentless in her thriving spirit, which she does not need to prove yet is something others knowingly and ignorantly learn from and in so doing, exploit their powers from, because they are a direct extension of her being. Is that a little bit deep? I love it. She is resilient and... Keep it coming. (laughs) Keep it going. She is resilient and uncompromising in her existence, which others are in awe of, but often hold a deep resentment towards, and yet she is accepting of all. And in doing this, she does not merely function as an example of how we as people should exist or act, but rather as a model from which we are all to draw our being from. Thank you. And that's about it. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, we'll see what happens in the next episode. I already have an idea. But it's not always going to be deep. 